What time is it? What time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Welcome to the ABI 1.0 Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Thompson. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where you are. In the vast expanse of our world, a silent catastrophe has been unfolding. The slow disappearance of our once glittering night sky. Picture this. A lone star night where the sky used to be a tapestry of stars is now replaced by a dull and hazy glow. How did we end up in this celestial predicament? Well, it's all thanks to our overzealous affection for artificial light. We Texans, known for our big hearts and even bigger aspirations, couldn't resist making everything bigger and brighter. We lit up our cities like never before transforming them into shimmering constellations of streetlights, billboards, and backyard illuminations. We were surrounded by a glow that made it seem like the stars were auditioning for a disco ball. But little did we know, we were unwittingly snuffing out the very essence of our starry nights. So join me, I have feel pardon a pun, as we shine a light on the problem and see what we can do about it. fixing any problem is figuring out what the problem is to begin with. So I suggest we take this time and illuminate ourselves. This is a park that's like very close to my house. And 
I'm out here looking for stars. I think I see one star. Light pollution comes from excessive artificial light that causes the sky to glow. And new research in the journal Science found because of light pollution, the night sky is getting 10% brighter every year. What is lost when you look up and you can't see what everybody else, every other generation saw, except for ours? In order to see what's really up there, you gotta leave the city lights behind and get to some pretty remote places. I'm talking the middle of nowhere kind of places. This is the McDonald Observatory in far west Texas. For maximum drama, I like to open this door. <laughs> That's where astronomer Stephen Janowicki works. Stephen to Amy, we are heading onto the dome floor. Yeah, drama. <laughs> That's right. You aren't lying. Amy, can we go back to uh, north for the structure, please? We can walk around. Got like a magic radio where it's just like, <laughs> he can move this giant telescope with his radio. The Hobby Eberly Telescope, operated by the University of Texas, is the largest of its kind in the world. At night, it collects the light from outer space on its very large mirror. Why is darkness so essential to the work? We are trying to catch the, the light, the little particles of life that come from the farthest corners of the universe sometimes uh, and have traveled uh, unthinkable distances to get here. And, and why do we need to know this? When I told my grandfather I was going to be an astronomer, he said, why don't you be a pediatrician like your cousin? <laughs> and it was the same question. But I, I think we need to know because it's a, it's a fundamental human pursuit of trying to learn new things. Uh, it's the same question of why we make art or why we you know, do, it, do anything that doesn't have a, a product that comes out of it. You know, we are trying to understand the universe. And that job is getting harder. This is a light pollution map of the United States. Check out the eastern half of the country, where there are now very few places left that are not light polluted. If the sky got too bright, eventually there would be no point in building big telescopes on the ground at all. Honestly, I think a lot of people come here for the telescopes, but leave just remembering the naked eye experience the most. Yeah, right, because yeah. you get so much, right? everything all yeah. at once. Yeah. Protecting the night sky here is the job of astronomer Stephen Hummel. I always forget to bring chairs. Stephen is giving me my own private tour of the major constellations in the sky. There's so much up there. What a beautiful night. Uh, it's perfect. And the, the detail in the Milky Way is remarkable. I mean, and then to the right of it, we have one of my favorite constellations, and one of the easiest to recognize, uh, which is Scorpius. Oh, yeah, it's the first time I've ever seen that. I can totally see that. Uh, it's easier to recognize. Yes, that's amazing. We have the stinger at the two little stars. We've got the curve. Stephen says the biggest reason we're losing the night sky is the rapid adoption of brighter, whiter LED streetlights. They both flood the sky with wasted light and reflect light off the ground. And that makes the sky glow. They're more efficient. Right. They, they, they save energy. You know, they become very cost effective. Um, but the most common kinds you see, the sort of bright white ones, are absolutely making the problem much worse. What are the reasons to preserve this? Well, I preserve the night sky. 
um, I would just be heartbroken if future generations couldn't enjoy this the way we are now. Uh, imagining a future without that is, is bleak to me. Um, and it's increasingly the reality. How many people never get to see this? And light pollution is not just a stargazing problem. Research shows it can interrupt our sleep cycle, leading to health issues like certain cancers and heart problems. It's also a major factor in the decline of insect populations, which require darkness to navigate, and it contributes to the death of hundreds of millions of birds each year that fly into brightly lit buildings. To protect these stunning views in the Big Bend region of Texas, the observatory helped establish the largest dark sky reserve in the world. It relies on nearby communities to swap out their white LED streetlights for amber ones that don't scatter as much light up into the sky and installing covers that point the light down. Wow, that's it. So this that's was, it. You, you switched this out. This was a different thing. That's right. Chris Ruggia is the director of tourism for the nearby city of Alpine, Texas a place that visitors stay when they come to see the dark night sky. This is our product, you know, is the experience of coming here. And if we want that to continue to, you know, provide some kind of prosperity to the community, we have to take care of it. The city council unanimously passed an ordinance in 2021 regulating outdoor lighting. Nearly all of the city's 200 streetlights have been updated, and the ordinance gives all businesses and homes five years to convert to dark sky friendly lighting or face a daily fine of fifty dollars what's it like to tell people that they must make some sort of change essentially to their home or their business you're asking a lot there there's going to be some conversations that aren't that aren't easy especially as the uh, as the time limit runs out digging around in the dark so what i'm going to set up it's called an all sky photometer to measure the progress on reducing light pollution, Stephen Hummel is rigging up a special camera. We're finding the canaries in the coal mine, so to speak. Uh, that the, where it's growing on the horizon, uh, where it could eventually extend high enough to impact where our, our telescopes are looking. His measurements show the plan across the dark sky reserve is working. There's been a 20% reduction in nighttime light pollution since 2020. And he says it's not just small communities that can make a big impact. Big cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, and Phoenix are all swapping out their overly bright streetlights for ones that are dark sky friendly. The problem really isn't money, it isn't infrastructure really, it's, it's awareness. Light pollution is completely reversible. Um, it's one of the few kinds of pollution that you could solve immediately if, if you wanted to. You could flip a switch and fix the problem. But to come out here, and see a true dark sky is to make you understand, I think, a little bit about what it means to be a human being and how small our existence is. This is something definitely worth saving. I guess we could trace it back to when humans discovered fire. They learned its power to fend off the darkness and keep predators at bay. With fire, they created a sense of safety in the midst of the night, allowing them to gather together and share stories, laughter, 
and warmth without being eaten. This newfound source of light sparked a desire within humans. They sensed the potential for transformation, a chance to further illuminate their lives. And so, through the ages, humans developed ingenious ways to tame the night through artificial light. As civilizations thrived, so did their fascination with light. Candles, oil lamps were crafted, casting a gentle and flickering glow. The darkness was no longer impenetrable. It had become a canvas for human creativity and ingenuity. But it didn't stop there. With the advent of electricity, the world changed. The streets, once shrouded in darkness, now bloomed with bright city lights. Perhaps one of the greatest affronts to having good nighttime vision, being able to see a good night sky, occurred in the latter portion of the 19th century, early portion of the 20th, with the advent of the moon tower. Yeah, you got that right. After all, you can see pretty good on a night of a full moon. I mean, we've had a, a, a super blue moon here recently. I can understand that, but all the time oh my god can't you shut the shades they are shut Edison famously invented the incandescent light bulb in the late 1870s and then commercialized it by the early 1880s. But before that, there were electric lights. There were arc lights. Arc lights are basically uh, a giant spark running between two sticks of carbon. They're extraordinarily bright. They're the sort of thing that are used in searchlights. And you can't make them small. So when arc lights were developed, they were used for street lighting in big cities like London and Paris. But the arc lights are so bright, you put them at street level, they're blinding. So the solution that a number of people hit upon was put them high up on a tower. These kinds of light towers, tower lights with arc lights on the top, were built all over, particularly in the Midwest, and they made a big impression on people. Detroit had an extremely extensive system, hundreds of 150, 160 foot tall towers. So these were built all over the Midwest in the 1880s and 1890s. In 1894, the city of Austin contracted with a firm in Indiana, Fort Wayne Electric, to erect a system in Austin. This is one of Austin's moonlight towers, as they've come to be called. It's, uh, this is the first one that was lit up in 1895. It would have been very bright, and you wouldn't want to look directly at it. The idea was it would spread light over a several block radius. Every place else in the world abandoned their arc light towers by 1910 or so. After the failure of the dam in 1900, Austin was kind of an electrical backwater, was deep in debt, uh, and they couldn't afford to replace their lighting system. 
they came to be called the Moonlight Towers because the light that they shed was comparable to a full moon. The way they tested that was you, the specification was you had to be able to read a newspaper at a distance of 200 yards or something like that. And so the arc light towers, or the moonlight towers, stayed around long enough until they were a, a curiosity and an object of nostalgia. They're not an important part of street lighting anymore. People don't even notice them unless they're looking for them. But in, when they were put up in the 1890s and probably into the 1920s, they were the main street lighting in the city of Boston. I think having the easy availability of lighting, literally flicking a switch, is an enormous advantage. People have very little idea of how complicated and work-intensive it was just to provide light. Yes, I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow, leaping and hopping on a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. We'll see if we can find some uh, remedies for our nighttime sky or lack of nighttime sky problem when we uh, reconvene on the other side of our sponsors. Don't fear, just follow me. We're just going to walk towards the light. Turn off that light! When the lights go down in the city And the sun shines on the bay So I'm back here in Kentucky at the Wild Turkey Distillery, and I want to let you in on a little something. The folks here and I have created a new small batch burger, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch. Real bourbon, no apologies. Are you feeling sluggish and slow like a turtle in a shell? You don't have to drag your feet anymore with the help of Token Turtle CBD in Aranda's Pass, Texas. Their store offers a wide range of CBD options including flour, pre-rolls, edibles, relief rubs, vapes, and more to help you move and groove with ease. And the best part? CBD has been known to help with skin issues, inhibit cancer cell growth, stress, anxiety, PTSD, epilepsy, and even lower your A1C. So say goodbye to sluggishness and hello to a new zest for life. Visit Token Turtle CBD at 361 South Commercial Street, Suite F, or check out their website at shoptokenturtles.com to learn more. You can even give him a call at 361-434-0063 if you just have any questions or just want to chat with the friendly staff. So why not come out of your shell and see what all the fuss is about? Token Turtle CBD is available seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., so there's always time to give them a try. Plus, who knows? Maybe you'll discover your inner zen turtle. I want to be a turtle. 
have grown up with the ability to stargaze, the ethereal experience of knowing we are so small compared to all that exists far beyond our gaze. But this is not the truth for everyone, especially city dwellers who lose more of the night sky each year due to light pollution. glow of city living. In many corners of the world, lights may be drowning out the stars. For almost the entire history of human beings, you would go outside at nighttime and sort of be confronted with the cosmos, right? And now that's an experience that almost never happens. To measure the changing night sky, researchers harness the power of citizen science, gathering more than 50,000 observations over 12 years. Globe at Night is an international campaign to raise awareness of the impact of light pollution. After crunching the numbers, researchers found that stars, like the ones in this pristine night sky, are getting harder to see. The likely culprit? Light pollution. Brightening the sky rapidly by roughly 7-10% to 10% a year, obscuring the view. What we're measuring is that people are saying they see fewer stars. This Montreal space educator knows all about the challenges of light pollution. If you have a kid who's, say, interested in, 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 in space and astronomy and wants to, say, learn about some of the constellations, that's going to be a very limiting uh, factor. But it hasn't stopped him from sharing his passion. If you look through here... He takes his telescope to where the people are. People would walk up and ask, like, you can't see anything, you're in the city. So those would be, you know, verbatim lines that I would hear. And then I would show them, like, come and take a look at the moon. Still, the new research illuminates a worrying trend. It confirms something that many of us have suspected for a while, which is that the rate at which light pollution is growing throughout the world is much faster than we previously appreciated. Well, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. So foreign are the real night skies to our major cities that in Los Angeles in 1994, after the Northridge earthquake jostled Angelinos awake at 4.31 a.m., the observatory received many calls asking about the strange sky that they had seen after the earthquake. Well, that strange sky turned out to be the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, well, we don't really want to have to wait for an earthquake or depend upon that for a good night sky. Sure not. It seems as though help may be over the, huh, well-illuminated horizon.
The night sky near to Ensenada. This blanket of stars is thanks in part to the city becoming the first in Mexico to switch to dark sky friendly streetlights. All 25,000 of them now shed their light only downwards instead of into the night sky, giving the nearby National Observatory one of the three clearest views of the stars in the world. It's the reward for a five-year struggle by Fernando Castro, head of the National Observatory's Sky Law Office. Now scientists are coming from Taiwan, France and the US to build telescopes in the observatory grounds. But Fernando says this isn't just for astronomers. And when you are in a dark place and you see this sea of stars, you start to wonder, you start to connect with the universe. And you don't need to be a scientist to do that. Scientist and keen amateur astronomer David is sharing that sense of wonder with young people in Ensenada, offering free classes. After seeing Jupiter and its moons for the first time, 15-year-old Leopoldo is ready to wax poetry. You can see perfect symmetry in the way the planet and the moons are aligned. So it's really reassuring to know that everything in the universe is in balance. Just outside of Ensenada, the two-month-old bubble hotel with its inflatable, transparent bedrooms is capitalizing on the clear skies. As is the Ensenada government, which after finally being persuaded by Fernando to install the new lights, has found they come with a pleasing bottom line. The street lights use 50% less energy than the old ones, and that's why this project works. It's giving us less light pollution and helping the municipal finances. Now that all events and other street lamps are pointing downwards, Fernando's trying to get them using warmer, less intrusive light. He's also trying to persuade Baja California's other big cities, Tijuana and Mexicali, to join in the program. It's a constant race, dark sky technology versus ever-growing metropolises worldwide. At the moment, the astronomers in Baja California are just about in front. John Holman, Al Jazeera, Ensenada. There are still a few places in this world that you can go to to find a night sky of, well, as in the past. However, your passport better be up to date and you better be well healed when it comes to travel funds. Yep, they're kind of spread out. You know, few and far between. The Himalayas, Asia. Home to most of the Earth's highest peaks, including Mount Everest, the Himalayas are a mountain range in Asia with some amazing views, to say the least. And while Everest is suffering an over-tourism crisis in 2019, with dozens of mountains and towering elevations across various countries, there are plenty of options to set up camp to watch the stars, including India's Spiti Valley or the Kuari Pass, both popular spots for the adventurous stargazer looking for unobstructed views of the Milky Way in crystal clear skies. Be sure to avoid monsoon season from May to October, when heavy rains plague that area and makes unsafe trekking conditions. La Palma, Canary Islands. A popular spot for astro-tourists, Spain's La Palma Island off the coast of northwestern Africa is a UNESCO biosphere reserve and boasts wondrously dark skies. Tenerife, the largest island of the archipelago and a star-studded hotspot, has even passed a law to ensure flight paths don't affect stargazing. 
The islands also offer a variety of tours, from sun observations to stargazing to wine and moon tours. Feel free to set up your own telescope or visit the Gran Telescopio Canarias, the biggest telescope in the world. With so many options, it's hard not to become enraptured by the constellations. Death Valley, USA Though relatively close to both Las Vegas and Los Angeles, the light pollution from these cities certainly doesn't affect the night sky in Death Valley. This famously arid region is one of the best spots in America to view a lunar eclipse or a meteor shower, and has been designated as the largest dark sky national park in the U.S. by the International Dark Sky Association. Between November and April, park rangers and astronomy organizations hold all manner of stargazing events. One such event is the Star Party at the Ranch, a great option for those wanting a quick weekend getaway or romantic evening under the stars. U.S. National Parks It ain't just Death Valley. Numerous other national parks across America have amazing views of the stars. Most of them are far enough away from the light pollution of large cities, but are still fairly easily accessible from large urban centers. At Yellowstone National Park, stretching across Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, visitors don't even necessarily need a telescope, as the stars come out in full view on a clear night. The Badlands in South Dakota offers a night sky program where rangers point out constellations, stars, and planets, and visitors are given the opportunity to take a closer look through park-provided telescopes. Big Bend in Texas has the least light pollution out of all the other national parks. On a clear night, stargazers can see approximately 2,000 stars. Western Australian Outback The vast landscape of the Western Australian Outback provides dark night skies for stargazers looking to see the constellations in the Southern Hemisphere. Its remoteness ensures incredibly dark skies, with no light pollution to obstruct the view. A good ace to start is to drive about an hour and a half north of Perth on the West Coast to explore the stars shining on the peaks of Sand Dunes at Lancelin. Head a bit further to Nambung National Park and into the vast desert to take amazing pictures of the limestone pinnacles pointing up towards the starlit sky. Feeling extra adventurous? Head further into the interior and camp out under the canopy of the night sky. Mauna Kea, Hawaii At over 13,000 feet above sea level, Mauna Kea is an inactive volcano which hasn't erupted for over 4,000 years. Let's hope it stays that way. It offers a great height to enjoy a truly clear night of stargazing. But if you go, be sure to take your time while hiking up in order to avoid mountain sickness, as the atmospheric pressure is significantly lower than sea level. Home to one of the largest optical telescopes in the world and amazing sunsets, it's certainly worth the climb. Not a fan of heights? No worries. Simply find a spot along the beach to gaze up at the Milky Way. Atacama Desert, Chile with dry air, no light pollution, and a high altitude, the stunning Atacama Desert in Chile offers the perfect conditions for gazing at the stars in the Southern Hemisphere. It only gets the barest sprinkling of rain over the course of a year, so you're almost guaranteed a cloudless sky for an unobstructed view of the stars. Frequented by astronomers and astro-tourists alike, this region is essentially a public observatory and provides amazing views of nebula, the moon, the rings of Saturn, or even a different galaxy far, far away. Atacama is a fantastic place to immerse yourself in the constellations. Just be sure not to go when there's a full moon for the perfect dark sky experience. Well, it's a backup to a backup bicycle, still more dependable than my car. And honey, last night what we were wishing on turned out to be a porch light, not a star. And these things I know in my old age I know to be the truth. If they ever say the check's in the mail, then that's to see their proof. Let's hope that in the future that mankind doesn't have to place 
satellites in orbit, observatories, to be able to view a night sky to transmit down to Earth when that's an expensive endeavor and it used to be free. Um, now that may sound slightly absurd, but I remember the night skies when I was a child and I think it's just an insidious, slow process. Over time, we've lost our night skies, so what do they say, 10% every year? That's a considerable amount. But it's something that, it's like a bringing a frog in a, a pot up to a boil. If you do it slowly, it doesn't know it's being boiled. There are things that we can do to cut down on light pollution. If we, if we follow the steps, then slowly we might be able to get some of the night sky back. We should at least protect the areas, the national parks that are dark already. Just don't allow development and huge lights to be built in and around those areas. They're worth protecting. And with the end of my rant comes the end of this episode. Let's try to keep those lights out. See if we can do this. I don't know if we can or not, but it's worth a shot. Until next time, I'm your host, Terry Thompson. This is ABI 1.0 Podcast. See ya.